Good afternoon, my name is Mandy Baines, Principal Audit and Insurance at CPA Canada, and pleased to welcome you to the special CPA Canada podcast. In today's podcast, we'll discuss various legal considerations firms and businesses should be aware of due to the impact of COVID-19. After listening to today's podcast, you'll gain a further understanding about 1. The general employment and legal considerations firms and businesses need to be aware of in the current COVID-19 environment. 2. Common legal questions faced by businesses due to contractual or commitment obligations within COVID-19. And finally, 3. Other general legal matters that businesses and firms need to be aware of in the current environment. On behalf of CPA Canada, it's now my pleasure to introduce today's guest speaker, Shafiq Baloo. Shafiq is an Associate Professor of Practice with Simon Fraser University's BD School of Business and a lawyer with Cornfeld LLP in Vancouver, BC. He's also a member of the British Columbia Employment Standards Tribunal and he practices employment, labour and commercial law and teaches courses and has many publications in those areas. Please join me in welcoming Shafiq to this podcast. Thank you for inviting me to participate on CPA's podcast. I want to start by pointing out that the comments and opinions I am expressing in this podcast are not legal advice, nor should they be attributed to my law firm, Kornfeld LLP, or the BD School of Business at SFU, where I'm a professor of practice, or the Employment Standards Tribunal of BC, I sit on as a member. The opinions and comments are my own. I would urge you to consult with a lawyer in your jurisdiction to obtain legal advice particular to your situation. So what I wanted to share with you today is some frequent questions I have entertained from my employer clients. Uh, during this uh, unprecedented time that we are experiencing with the outbreak of COVID-19 pandemic. Because these questions may be of relevance to you as accounting practitioners and employers of employees. My clients are in very diverse businesses ranging from avalanche services to real estate developers and technology companies. I also deal with employers in traditional professions. The COVID-19 pandemic has certainly presented significant challenges to many of my clients. The financial constraints that have arisen as a result of this pandemic have caused my employer clients to closely re-examine their organization's position in the marketplace. Among other efforts that these employer clients are making to weather the pandemic storm and reduce their short-term operating costs is to effect a layoff. So a recurring question I get from employers is, can I effect a temporary layoff of my staff until things get better? Well, first you should know that about 90% of the employment in Canada is governed by provincial laws. Each province has an employment standards legislation that sets minimum standards for payment, compensation, and working conditions in most workplaces. 
When it comes to layoff of employees, you need to look at the specific provincial standards legislation. For example, neither Ontario nor BC grant an affirmative right to temporarily lay off an employee in their employment standards legislation, but Alberta does. In Alberta, you may be able to lay off your employee by providing a written layoff notice containing certain specific terms, and the layoff cannot exceed 60 days. There is also an avenue in the legislation to extend that layoff. Employers should check with Alberta Council if they wish to pursue layoff under the statute. In BC and Ontario, as indicated earlier, there is no general right to layoff under the relevant uh, employment standards uh, legislation. If an employer wants to effect layoff in BC and Ontario and any other province, um, do check your employment contract to see if the contract of employment permits layoff of the employee. If it does, the employer may affect a temporary layoff pursuant to the contract. Now, I should mention that the employment standards legislation in BC and Ontario does not apply to chartered professional accountants and students covered under the chartered professional accountants legislation in these provinces. But it does apply to other employees of accounting firm who are not covered under the CPA Act. So while an employer may be able to effect a layoff of any employee where the employment contract permits a temporary layoff, if the employee is covered under the provincial employment standards legislation, like a secretary or receptionist or other clerical staff at the accountant's office, the employer will need to comply with the limitations of the provincial laws. So what are the limitations of the provincial law in such case? Well, in both BC and Ontario, temporary layoff is defined as a layoff of not more than 13 weeks in any period of 20 consecutive weeks of employment. If you go beyond 13 weeks in a period of 20 consecutive weeks uh, in these provinces, then the employment is deemed terminated. Now, both BC and Ontario uh, employment standards legislation uh, do provide some avenues of extending the layoff period. Uh, in BC, if the employer and the employee both agree to apply to vary the definition of temporary layoff, uh, then it can be extended. In the case of Ontario, if the employer continues to meet certain conditions, such as continuing benefit coverage or pension contributions, um, the employer uh, may be able to extend that layoff period. So the next question that arises is, what if the employer does not have a layoff clause in the employment contract? Then what? I emphatically recommend that the employer speak with the employee and ask for the employee's written consent to layoff. My employer clients who do not have a layoff clause in their employment contracts are going this route once they have decided that a temporary layoff is a necessary part of their cost-cutting strategy. Most of my clients are finding good cooperation from their employees. Employees are consenting for the most part to a temporary layoff. I would uh, think that it's uh, good for the employer to have a tete-a-tete -tete with their employees when asking the employee's consent to a temporary layoff. I would encourage employers to be as frank as possible with their employees. Tell them that you do want to get back to business 
as soon as you're able to, and this is indeed a temporary measure. Employers should still keep in mind the provincial legislation uh, in their province and the limitations on layoff uh, the provincial legislation imposes on them, even if the employee consents. Uh, more particularly, what I'm referring to here is that even if the employer has the employee's consent to a temporary layoff, it cannot exceed 13 weeks in any period of 20 consecutive weeks, at least in British Columbia and uh, Ontario. The next question is, what if the employee does not consent to a layoff where the contract of employment does not allow for a layoff? Here, whether the employee is one covered under the employment standards legislation, secretary, clerk, receptionist, and the like, or if the employee is part of the excluded class to whom the employment standards legislation does not apply, such as a chartered accountant or a student covered under the CPA Act of the province, the employer has a couple of options. Either continue the employee's employment without varying any terms or proceed with a layoff or other change such as a reduction in wages or hours of work without consent and risk the possibility that the employee will claim that they have been constructively dismissed by the employer. So the second option contains a risk and that risk is constructive dismissal action by the employee against the employer. What is constructive dismissal? The phrase constructive dismissal describes situations where the employer has not directly fired the employee, but failed to comply with the contract of employment in a major respect, such as unilaterally changing the terms of employment. An employer unilaterally changing a significant term of employment, such as reducing salary by 25% or laying off the employee, would amount to a constructive dismissal. The employer will be exposed to a wrongful dismissal action by the employee. The employer may end up having to pay a contractual severance pay or reasonable notice. So that is the exposure that employers have when they lay off employees and there's no layoff provision in the contract and the employee is not consenting to a layoff. Now, some employers have raised the question of whether the COVID pandemic can be looked at as a frustrating event in their contractual relationship with their employees. So what is frustration of contract? It is the legal termination of a contract because of unforeseen circumstances that occurred through no fault of either party, making the contract impossible to perform. In employment context, the employer has the burden of proof to show, to establish, frustration has occurred. If the employer is successful in establishing a frustration of contract has occurred, then the employer is not responsible to give the employee contractual or common law notice or pay in lieu of notice. The contract of employment just ends without liability. So then the question that uh, arises is, is COVID-19 pandemic a frustrating event? I personally think there exists a good argument to be made that COVID-19 was an unforeseeable event. The argument that it has frustrated an employment contract may depend on the particular business, 
where, for example, the government has ordered closure of a particular type of business, for example, sit-down restaurants, the restaurant employer may be able to argue frustration has occurred with greater ease. This is not to say that where the government has not ordered shutdown of a business, that frustration argument will fail. I think much depends on the circumstances of the individual case. Maybe a bit harder argument where the employer experiences a significant downturn in the business and decides to cut staff and operate with a skeleton staff. For example, the employer decides to keep two out of the five clerks or secretaries at the office. I would think that the argument of the employer that the contracts of the three who are not kept on were frustrated will be harder in such case because the employer there is carrying on business, just doesn't need as many people and decided to let go of a few. So I don't think the frustration argument there will be as strong as in the previous case that I mentioned, but it will depend on a case-by-case -case basis rather. Also important to know for both employers and employees in all workforces, including accounting, is that provinces are passing amendments related to COVID pandemic to protect employees' employment. Both Ontario and BC, for example, have passed amendments to their respective employment standards legislation to uh, provide job-protected unpaid leave. I reiterate, it's job-protected unpaid leave to employees who are in isolation or quarantine due to COVID-19 or those who need to be away from work to care for children because of school or daycare closures or to care for other relatives. The legislative changes in both provinces also make it clear that an employee will not be required to provide a medical note if they need to take the leave. However, the employer may require the employee to provide other evidence that is reasonable in the circumstances at a time that is reasonable in the circumstances. This could include such requests from the employer as a note from the daycare or uh, for evidence that the airline cancelled a flight, but not a medical note. It is also uh, important to note, as employers in the accounting field or any other field, uh, that these measures are retroactive to January 25 and 27, 2020, respectively in Ontario and in BC. In BC, employers also have an obligation to re-employ in the same or comparable position those employees who are discharged on or after January 27, 2020, before the unpaid leave related to COVID-19 came into force. The next question I want to address is employers' obligations to employees where employer is continuing to do business with the public in the current climate. Now, you have to keep in mind that all employers have an obligation at law to provide employees with a safe working environment. Now, this obligation of employers has existed since time immemorial. In BC, for example, accounting service providers are declared by the government as non-healthcare essential service providers, meaning that you can continue your business, but you must follow the orders and guidance provided by the provincial health officer to ensure safe operations and reduce the risk uh, of transmission of COVID-19.
when it comes to client contact or office workers working in the office, you as an employer must make sure you are taking relevant precautionary measures and not exposing your employees nor your clients to the risk of transmission of COVID-19. Be mindful of what is recommended by provincial authorities, the provincial health officer, and comply with those directions, failing which there is a potential liability to you as an employer if it can be shown that your failure to take proper measures exposed your employees or clients to the virus. Be also mindful that all provinces have occupational health and safety legislation that protects employees. Employers cannot dismiss, discipline, or intimidate employees for properly exercising their health and safety rights. Another question or concern that some employers have is how to manage with their landlord in the interim when their business is not doing well and lease payments for their business premises are difficult to make. While I don't see landlords coming out en masse like banks have in offering deferral mortgage payments to struggling homeowners, to their uh, commercial tenants and offering them rent deferrals, I'm also not hearing landlords strictly relying upon their lease agreements and pushing commercial tenants out. You may have noticed that there is not a rush to rent commercial properties right now, and it does no good to any landlord to turf a long-term tenant. If you are a tenant, particularly a long-term tenant who has a decent relationship with a landlord, I would recommend that you speak with your landlord and try to get some concessions like rent deferral or partial rent deferral for a period. It's not unreasonable to think that the landlord will work with you to find an amicable solution. I would also ask you to take a look at the wage subsidy being rolled out by the federal government and other financial solutions, including the interest-free loan, to hopefully assist in buffering the financial pain that you may be experiencing during this difficult time. Lastly, I want to address the question of employees being required to or working from home and privacy and confidentiality issues. Many employers in businesses where the nature of work allows employees to work remotely from home, such as accounting and law, are requesting their employees to work from home. It is not unreasonable to request uh, employees to do so given the directions of federal and provincial governments encouraging social distancing. Hopefully, your organization already has a written policy that stresses the importance of and provides some instructive guidelines to employees on cybersecurity and protection and confidentiality of client data. You can revisit that policy and tweak it to address any added risks associated with employees working from home with client information. Before you allow the employee to work from home, think about what information they'll be accessing. Are they using the employer's equipment? Are they using your equipment or personal computer at home? How will client information they have access to be transported? Will it be on a USB key, hard drive, email? Are there special security risks that can be mitigated with any special measures? What technology is available to improve the security of client data and such? Keep in mind that accountants and accounting firms have both ethical and legal obligations to protect their clients' confidential information. 
You all know this, that the CPA Code of Conduct in each province, in Rule 208, provides clear requirements on members, registered firms, and students to take appropriate measures to maintain and protect confidential information of any client and former clients. Also, every province has provincial privacy legislation requiring all private sector businesses, that would include accounting firms as well, and accountants, that collect personal information to develop policies on the collection, use, and disclosure of that personal information. CPA Association also recommends you develop a separate policy for client and for employee information. If proper care is not taken by the firm or the accounting practitioner and confidential information of the client, or for that matter, employees of the firm, is disclosed, lost, or stolen, there could be potential liability on the accountant or the firm for that loss, and the client may be able to claim any damages flowing from that loss, not to mention that the accounting practitioner or the firm will also be subject to professional consequences for being offside the CPA Code of Conduct. We thank you for listening to this podcast. For further information about CPA Canada and our available resources, I encourage you to visit our website at www.cpacanada.ca. Please note that this material is provided for educational purposes only. Although it has been carefully prepared and reviewed, the presenters and the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, CPA Canada, cannot accept legal responsibility for its contents or for any consequences arising from its use. The materials are meant to provoke and facilitate thought and reflection. The guidance provided to participants in response to these items is not to be interpreted as a conclusive judgment on any specific situation and should not be directly applied to other situations.